So I'm going to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and uh, we will read from a portion of Scripture beginning with verse number 6, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, and I am going to um, read down through the 12th verse. So if you have that, say praise the Lord. If you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Anybody, can you relate to those last couple of verses? You could testify and say, you could testify and say, oh yes. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Always, no, notice it says here, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Please, please note that. We are always bearing in our bodies the dying. You have to see this to understand where we're going today. The dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So he said, in our body, we will always bear this death that Christ endured. But as sure as there was a death, there was also a life, a resurrection. And he said that the life, because of the death, we're able to let this life also of Jesus, that it's manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Now, I'm not the bearer of bad news today. I'm just trying to bring reality to where many of us are and wonder why is all this stuff going on in my life? And why am I facing this? And how come I'm going through this? And is there an explanation? He said, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Amen. Life in you. You. Now, I'm going to try my best to get back to, to this and, and go verse by verse if I can, bring some things out. I don't know that I'll get to it all today, but I will try, and if I don't, we will pick up down the road somewhere, all right? But I do want to talk to you for a little while about the importance of a consecrated life, the importance of a consecrated life. Life. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know that you have heard anyone recently preach much about consecration. Uh, in fact, I don't know that I remember in recent 
months or years hearing someone preach specifically about consecration. Now, that's a little bit strange for me because in the day that I grew up, uh, you heard consecration type of preaching all of the time. Uh, there was there was really uh, no lapse of time or gap in in this subject. It was it was something that was brought to the forefront of our minds and our attention over and over and over again. Consecration. It's a word that that many people do not even use today. And and many people do not even have an idea what it means or or how it plays out in one's life. We're going to talk a little bit about it today. Uh, Just a few, uh, uh, maybe a week or so ago, a couple of weeks back, I read an article about uh, when I see things that say Holy Grail, that that that's jumps out at me because I'm thinking, oh, this is this is unique, this is special, this is out of the ordinary. What are they talking about? So I saw a headline that said Holy Grail found. I'm like, oh, what is it? You know, it, it, what 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 have they found that is so special? And then they went on to say this rare penny, this rare penny might be worth. million after it was found in a boy's lunch money. A penny that they were estimating this holy grail to be worth $1.7 million found in a young boy's lunch money. Wow, okay, I've got to read and find out what this is all about. Well, the story is... This uh, young man found in the change from his lunch money a a penny that could be worth 1.7, 1.65. Somewhere in that they were they were estimating. And the reason this headline and and, and article was was written was because the auction date of that penny was just a couple of days ago. In fact, it was three days ago. It was January uh, the 10th when they were going to auction off this holy grail uh, penny that was found in a, uh, a young boy's lunch money. And I found it interesting because the article talks about this 1943. Now, all of you, I know what's going to happen. If there's a penny anywhere near you in the car, when you get home today in your pocket, whatever you say, you, you're going to look and see if it's a 1943 because it was a 1943 Lincoln penny and is made up of copper and has been described as the most famous coin made in error. Okay? So it wasn't the run-of-the-mill coin. It was their saying made in error. It wasn't supposed to be made. And this was according to Heritage Auctions, which were in charge of this auction a couple of days ago. Only 20 of these were ever made. And for years, now I know this is going to be shocking, but for years, years and years and years, the United States government has denied its existence. Can you believe that? Can you believe that they would actually do that? Can you believe, David, I know you can. They, they, they have denied for six, seven, eight decades 
that it existed, that these coins existed. But this one coin was found by Don Lutz Jr. in his school cafeteria in 1947, March of 47. So just a few years, what's that? Four years after these coins were made, he found one in the cafeteria in his lunch money. And uh, despite the relentless searching by eager collectors for over a period of more than 70 or 80 years, only a handful uh, of these uh, coins have ever been discovered and proven legitimate. In fact, they say that there are no more in the surviving population of these coins, there's no more than maybe 10 of them, possibly 15 that are still around all of these years later. And they, they've compiled a roster of all of those things. Now, in the 40s, and I got I to gotta share this with you, in the 40s, copper was considered a, a strategic metal, right? largely because World War II, and it was used to make shell casings, right? And because shell casings were being made out of copper, telephone wire was being made out of copper, and other wartime necessities were being made out of copper, then the decision was made, we cannot use copper for these coins. We have to do something else because uh, having shells was more important and, and, and telephone lines being put in were more important and other wartime things. So they wanted to preserve, they wanted to preserve the metal and um, the 1943 pennies were made out uh, with a zinc coating Steel. So instead of it being what they had always used, now zinc was a coating over some steel, and that's how pennies were being made. And but there was a there was a tiny fraction, tiny fraction of pennies that were put into circulation that wound up using copper. So they were not supposed to be using copper. Everything that had to do with copper was directed somewhere else. Pennies were being made by with zinc covering. And, and here we are now, a few of these pennies being put into distribution. And the government, when they're called on it, said, no, we never made those. They don't exist. And four years later, a boy finds one of these rare coins in his lunch money. This is, this is interesting. And then these rumors began to emerge. And I'll tell you why it seemed to be so important. These rumors started emerging that, uh, that, they, that these pennies had made their way into circulation. And people were saying no, and the government saying no. But there's this frenzy that, that was heightened at that time uh, that, that started speculating, I love this part, that Henry Ford... The, the, the automobile maker said, if anyone can find one of these coins and submit it to me, I will give you a new Ford. So he said, the government is saying it doesn't exist, but rumors say 
There are copper pennies from 43 out there. If anyone can find one and give it to me, I will trade you a brand new automobile for your penny. Wow. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, that, that, that caused people to really start looking and digging and seeing if they, because automobiles were not as available as they are today. Well, um, uh, that was speculation. And later on, it was proven that he had not made that statement. So people were frantic trying to find pennies, thinking that Henry Ford was going to give them an automobile, and it was just uh, rumors that, were, that was going around. But here's what's interesting, because at that time, um, in magazines and comic books, and this is how they, how they describe it, uh, newspapers, there, were, there was all of this promotion and talk and trying to play it down. It doesn't exist, and others saying it does. And, and here's what's interesting about this, that that boy went and tried to get his coin verified. He went and said, wait a minute, I think this is a copper, a copper coin. And um, here is this holy grail of mint errors. <laughs> and they, say, they said to him, no, that's, that's not legitimate. That's not, that's not really copper. You don't have one of those coins. And so this boy put his coin away into a private little collection that he had, and he kept it all of these years. And that young boy just passed away in September of last year. So from 47 to September of 2018, he had a coin in his possession that he was told had no value. And he put it in his private collection, and after he died, people found it and said, wait a minute, this is one of those coins that was not supposed to exist. And it does have value. And so the Heritage Auction House decided they would auction that off three days ago, and they were estimating that one penny would bring $1.7 million. And he had it sitting in his home all of these years, thinking it had no value. Now, they, they, you know how it is, they, they over-exaggerated the value and it sold for 200, a measly $204,000. Who would want that? I mean, a penny. Najee, you'd probably just keep it in your pocket and flip it walking down the street every day. I mean, it, all they, I mean, all it could, all it could garnish was two hundred and four stinking thousand dollars. Man, all of those years, he had that in his possession and did not know its value. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We, we sometimes, I believe, have no clue. We have no concept how valuable what we possess really is. Because people have said, it isn't worth much. People have said, it doesn't exist. 
People have said it's not real. People have said, and it's somehow set aside in our possession, and we live our lives as though it isn't worth anything at all. I I wish I had time to go through the whole story. You can look it up online, I'm sure, and read it. but, but, But it's interesting because it remained, this coin remained out of circulation for decades simply because its value was unrealized. The value of what that penny was worth was unrealized so it was out of circulation. The opinions of others and false information that came to this young man caused him to totally undervalue what he possessed. And I see that happening many times with people who are of faith that that, that they stay, if you will, out of the places where God wants them to circulate. They stay out of the areas where God wants them to be simply because they do not understand the value of what they possess. It's not realized in their life. And so they become a Christian and they sit on a church pew and they do nothing for decades out of circulation, if you will. Because there isn't much value to it at all. And people offer their opinions, unsafe family members and and false information coming from those that are far from God, causing people to undervalue. Oh, that Christianity, it really isn't true. There isn't much to that. And I don't know if I believe that in the opinions of others and the conversations and the judgments of others cause us to to totally uh, undervalue what we possess. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you possess something valuable. Amen. In in the preceding verses to our text, and I'm not going to go back and read all of those today, but in those preceding verses, there's an explanation given of the light that, that Christ brought to humanity. And if you go back and you read those previous verses, uh, verse 1 through 5 there of 2 Corinthians 4, you will see um, that, that many times what He has provided for us is hidden. It's hidden. It's lost. It's put aside. But what He's given us is a light, a light that can illuminate the lives of others, make a difference not only in our own uh, lives, but I want to point out that the light of revelation, without going into all of the verses, my, uh, my take on this is that the light of revelation is no small thing. We treat it as a small thing, but it is no small thing. When you consider revelation, that you and I were living in darkness with no with no clue how we were going to make it from one moment to the next, one day to the next, one week, month, year to the next. We were living in darkness, controlled by the adversary, living under the curse of sin, and we had no way of escape. We were living doomed. But Christ came and made a difference. And the difference He made, He offered to us in revelation. He brought light into our darkness. The Bible said in John 1, light 
came into the world and the world did not even comprehend the light. This whole thing, his, his, his existence was about bringing revelation. And the light connects to that. And in this chapter, he's talking about the light that he has given us. And then we come back to read our text. And I'm saying to you, revelation, the revelation that he brings to us is no small thing. We cannot treat it like any other penny, if you will. We can't treat it like, like some other object. We, we can't treat it just like some other routine thing in our life. We have to get to the place that we understand the value and worth of what we possess. We have in our possession the light of revelation that literally turned the world upside down. Now, this is amazing to me. When I, when I look through all of this, because it has the potential, the light, to literally change a person's entire existence. Anybody agree with me? That when light comes, your, in, your entire existence will change. If, if your life has changed because of His light, let me see your hands. Amen. All over this house. Our lives changed because of the light of revelation that came to us. Amen. So we can testify of this reality. We can testify of this truth. But, but being buried in our lives, that light with such potential makes no difference at all. When it is buried in our lives, when it is hidden in our lives, when it's just with all the other coins on the dresser, when it's just in the drawer somewhere, thinking that there's nothing to that. It's just an old penny. No, this is a valuable, they called specimen. It is something that there are only maybe 10 or 15 even in existence. And, and, and I find all of this interesting because one of them they found and it has connection with the Denver Mint. So that's, that's kind of interesting to me. One of, those, one of those pennies. After years, after years of ministry involvement, I just want, I, I want to say this. The one thing that I have observed, and I've observed many things, but the one thing that I've observed time and time again that can truly tip the scales in our favor. People say, Pastor, just tell me what I need to do. Just, just give me some clarity. Give, give me direction. I, I, this is happening in my life. That's going on. And just, can you help me? Just, I, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know who else to talk to. All of these years later, decades later, of, of direct involvement with people, the one thing that I've observed time and time and time again, without fail, that will always tip the scales in your direction. The one thing, without fail, every time. You want favor in your life? There's one way to gain it. Consecration. You can do anything else you want, but if you do all those things void of consecration, you will never walk in the favor that you could have walked in. You will never experience what you could have experienced without consecration. Consecration is no small thing. 
I've had the privilege, and I know many of you have had the privilege of, of being raised around people who lived consecrated lives. And there is such a stark difference between people who live a consecrated life and those who do not live a consecrated life. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm not trying to judge anyone in their personal situations. I'm just telling you, as a pastor and through my observation, I have seen time and time again that if you want the favor of God to come in your life, if you will submit yourself to a life of consecration, I promise you, you will not have room enough to receive and contain all that God will do in and with and through your life. There is something about consecration that moves the heart of God. There is something about consecration that changes the lives of people. There's something about consecration that can literally take a situation that is out of control and bring it into alignment when we step in that door and through that passageway to say, I don't know what anybody else will do. I don't know how anyone else will live their life. But as far as me, I'm going to consecrate everything that I have and everything that I am to the work and to the service of God because I know consecration will cause God to go to work in my life in every situation that I may face. I cannot promise you that he'll come through for you if you're not consecrated. I would never stand in this pulpit and say, live any way you want to, do anything you're big enough to do, and always know you've got the God card in your back pocket. It does not work that way. I promise you it does not work that way. But if you will consecrate your life to him and devote yourself to the things of God and live this way day in and day out, there will never come a storm. There will never come a trial. There will never come a difficulty. There will never come a setback that God will not step in immediately and start fighting for you and working for you and doing what he can to turn your situation around. I cannot stress how important a consecrated life is. It's so important that I could preach anything else in this book today, but consecration weighs heavy on me because a consecrated man, a consecrated woman will have the attention of heaven and God God will go to work for them. God will go to work for them. You don't need the preacher to go to work for you. You don't need a family member to go to work for you. You need God to go to work for you. And the one way you get him on your side is consecration. 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 The act of consecrating. Dedication by definition to the service and worship of deity. What is consecration? That's it. You dedicate your life and everything that you have to the service and the worship of your God. That's consecration. The reason we don't preach about it a lot is because people don't want to dedicate everything to Him. People don't want to give everything to Him. Can I preach for a little while here today? We want to dedicate Sunday morning for 90 minutes or 120 minutes, but we don't want to dedicate the rest of the week. We want to dedicate 
When I'm trying to get him to answer prayer, I'm willing to do a few things. That's not dedication. Dedication is whether you answer this prayer or not. I'm committing everything I have and everything that I am to your service and to the worship of the one who saved me. That's that's consecration. Consecration isn't, well, he answered my prayer. I think I'll do something good in return. That's not consecration. Consecration is if I see my family pass away in sickness, he's still God. I mean, those, those boys said, oh, king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. We're not, they, they were saying, bow. You better bow or you're burning. They said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God is able. Amen. Throw us in. If he does it, great. If he doesn't do it, he's able. How can you say that? Because they were consecrated to the God that lorded over them, if you will. And if you choose to save my life, wonderful. If you choose to take my life, you're still God and everything that I have and everything that I am I dedicate to your service and to worshiping you that's consecration we, we, don't, we don't really want to hear that kind of preaching in this day and time the dedication of an object is one thing you go back into the Old Testament you'll find that they consecrated things in the tabernacle to the work, to the service. There, there were vessels and there were instruments and there were pieces of furniture and there were all types of things that were consecrated. They were objects. Everybody say objects. Were objects and they were consecrated to the service, if you will. And things were able to be carried out and worship took place because of consecration. The consecration that took place in, in all of, uh, all of that process. And so it's, it's interesting to me because we're good with consecrating objects. We're good with this last year in 18, I, I, I preached a few different places and, and traveled a hundred and some odd thousand miles. Uh, and, and, you know, I could give you some of the numbers, but, but last year I preached a time or two in places in installation services for new pastors and dedications of new buildings. And, and I did some of that last year. And here's the thing. You can, you can consecrate a building to be a house of worship and a place of service. And, and that's good and that's important and we should do that. But something completely different happens when you consecrate your life to Him. You can consecrate things and He receives that and He'll bless that. But it goes to a complete different level when you consecrate your life to Him. When, when it's not just an object, but it's a heart. It's, it's not just a, a, a something else, if you will. But I, I don't want us to ever get to the place that we consecrate a building and then we live six days, the other six days of the week, and do nothing but say, well... It's when we're there on Sunday in that building that things happen. No, things happen 
every day when your life is consecrated to him. When, 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 when you have dedicated more than things to him, you've given more than just a, a few possessions that you may have. And so it's interesting to me the references of, of consecrate, at least in the King James Version, consecrate and consecration. These words grace many scriptures of the Old Testament and seem to be void and missing for, in the large part, in the New Testament. Go do a word study on it. Go, go plug it into your computer and look through those words, consecrate and consecration, and see how many times they show up in the Old Testament. And then compare that by how many times they show up in the New Testament. It'd surprise you, because you see it all in the Old, and it's absolutely void. Okay, well, what, how, how do we resolve this? I mean, what, what do we do with this when, when these things show up there, but they do not show up here? How, how, how do I get through all of this? And, and, and my response is simply this. A truly repented life, a repentant life produces an unquestionable consecrated life. So, so what's different about old and new is in old it shows up as consecration. In new it shows up as repentance. Oh God, help us to understand this. That if you're not living a repentant life, you're not living a consecrated life. If you're not walking in repentance day in and day out, it is absolutely impossible for you to ever live a consecrated life because consecration and repentance go hand in hand together. When you say, I dedicate service, I dedicate worship to Him, what are you saying? I'm no longer dedicating my energy to the world. I'm no longer giving my service to the adversary. I'm no longer worshiping things that cannot save me, but I'm turning around, repentance, and I'm going to dedicate my service and my worship to Him. That is repentance, and it's hand in hand with Old Testament consecration. So if you want to know what a consecrated life looks like in 2019, it looks like a person who's living their life in a repentant state day in and day out. Somebody say, God, help me to live that way. Where there is no repentance, there is no dedication to the service. When a person is not repentant, they have every excuse in the book why they can't be involved, why they can't witness, why they can't serve, why they can't give. Why they... When you're not repentant, then the result of that is excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And you may have legitimate excuses for whatever it may be, but when it comes to the things of God and us wanting the scales to tip in our favor, I can never stand before Him and say, well, I can't because of this, that, and the other. I have to come to Him and say, I'm sorry for anything that would try to stand in the way between my life of service to you. Oh, you're not helping me any today. You ought to help me today because I'm telling you the truth. A repentant life will cause the favor of heaven to come down on you. But excuses will get in the way of favor every time. Every 
time. I know there's moments that things come along and you have to work through them. Here's the deal. Work through them. Don't let it become your reality. We all have ups and downs. We all have things we have to shift, things we have to work on, things we have to change, things that come up. But when you get satisfied in that state of excuse, then you've bought into the lie of the devil that what you have isn't valuable. I just can't do it. I don't know how everybody else does it. I'll tell you how everybody else does it. Repentance. Well, I don't understand. I'm the only one. No, no. Repentance causes me to keep doing it when I don't feel like doing it. Repentance causes me to say, I'm dedicated to the service of my king. I am going to dedicate my life as a life of worship to him. Nothing else. My job isn't going to get my worship. My family isn't going to get my worship. He's going to get all of that. He's going to, well, I can't do that without living repentant. There are moments that things come up and we have seasons in our life that we have to work through. We have jobs and we have deaths in families and we have struggles that come along. Yes, that's understandable, but it doesn't need to become your reality and everything that you do from that moment on. I lost my dad. Lisa lost her mother. All of this happened within, I don't know, a year and two or three months of one another. Both of them fell sick. Both of them died. Lisa and I traveled back and forth to Texas. We traveled back and forth to North Carolina. We, yes, were we financially put out? Yes. Were we physically put out? Yes. Were we taxed in every area? Yes. But it was a season in our life. I'm not living in 2019 in the season that I was in in 2016. But some people get into that and years later are still saying, well, you remember when mama died or you remember when I lost that job or you remember yeah I do we all we all go through that and there's seasons that you have to step back and try to adjust and do what you can but don't let that define everything that you are or will ever be in God say hey something happened on my job I got to put some extra hours in but I this it won't be forever this is for the next week or two but then I'm moving on to the place where God wants me to be because my life is consecrated to him my life is consecrated to the things of God you cannot allow the enemy to make you believe what you have isn't valuable. That man literally had in his possession for more than seven decades a penny that was worth, this week, $204,000. And he just treated it like nothing because someone said, it's a lie. That isn't copper. That can't benefit you. There's nothing, no, 43? No, all the copper was going elsewhere. No pennies were made. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Nose as long as a telephone wire. Come on, you, I, I need to help some of y'all. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> Anybody know that? Am I the only one in the building that knows that? David, you're shaking your head. You've heard it once or twice. My goodness. If we're not careful, the light that we have, and I'm really trying to take my time here because I want you to get this today. The light that we have will be buried 
within us only. And the value that it possesses will make no difference in anyone else's life. Now, here's, I want to go back and try to cover some of this, but I told you I didn't know if I could get there, and, and, and so I, I'm truthful with you. What we possess is valuable. And the only thing that will reveal the value of what he's deposited in your life, the only thing that will reveal that is consecration. You can tell people you love God. You can tell people how great God is. You can testify about all the miracles. You can do all of that. But if you don't live a consecrated life, they will never see. It will be words just coming from someone else's mouth. But when they see your life matching up with your words, when they see that you're living a consecrated, repentant life, then your testimony goes to a complete different level. Your testimony means something different to them because there's a lot of people that have told them things that they're not even willing to live themselves, but they want to tell everybody else. If I testify to someone else about how good God is, I want them to be able to see that in my life by the consecration that I'm living, that it's not just words, but I'm living a repentant life and the things I'm saying to you, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm living that out every day. So if you want to help people, the only way for the truth that you have to ever be seen or felt is through a consecrated life. That's what reveals it all. Some people move so fast past the step of repentance that it becomes something of their past and not their ongoing present. We come to God and we take that step. If I'm turning to Him, We turn to Him in repentance and we move so fast, quickly past that to get to the water and get to the infilling that we never think about the value of what that step of repentance was. Here's here's the truth of the matter. I, I can tell you, if you repented one time in your life and you haven't repented since then, you better find a place quickly before the Lord comes. Because... One writer who, who was prolific in, in writing texts of Scripture said, I die daily. He didn't say I died one time at an altar. And that's it. Everything's been good since then. He said, I die daily. I repent daily. I give it all to him daily. I come back to him daily. If the men who wrote the word are saying it has to happen daily, don't depend on something that happened in your life years ago. Wake up and realize the value of repentance and understanding that every time you come to him, it's a brand new dedication and consecration, if you will, to him and the things that represent him. Most every prayer that I pray has somewhere in that prayer a moment of repentance. I don't care if it's a five-minute prayer, a 30-minute prayer, an hour prayer. I'm going to look for an opportunity to say, God, search my heart once again. Lord, here I am again. I know that I cannot do anything without you. I'm asking you to search me, forgive me, see if there's anything in my life. Look at me today, God. I submit myself to you today. I want to live repentant before you. I want to live in a way that you can get glory and honor out of my life. I encourage you, if you don't pray that way, make sure it's a part 
part of your prayer going forward. Take a few moments every time you pray to say, God, search my heart again. Forgive me of anything in my life that's not like you. God, if there's any way, any action, any thought, any desire, any passion that's not like you, God, forgive me, Lord. I want to be right with you. I come to you again today. Don't run so quickly past repentance that it becomes something of your past and not of your present. Repentance has to be a part of our present if we want the favor of God in our life. It's not not difficult to live for God. Now, I'm going to say this because I want to be clear. Life can be difficult. I have a lot of challenges in life, but it's not hard to live for Him. It's not hard to live for God. Somebody shout amen. Amen. It's not hard to live for God when repentance remains the focus of our life. It's not hard for me to live for God when I find time every day to say, God, forgive me again. It's not hard for me to live for Him. It's hard when I'm trying to hide those things that are not forget, I've not been forgiven of. It's hard when I'm trying to stay at a distance where I don't want anybody to know who I am or what I've done or where I've been and all that, and I'm not being with honest with God. It's hard to live a double life. It's hard to keep things hidden like that. It's hard, but when you're plain and upfront and transparent with God and you're living a repentant life, it's not hard to live for God. So when people say, this is such a struggle, it's a struggle because you're trying to do it in your flesh and not by the help of the spirit that has been invested in you. You have something valuable in your life. Let it come out. It's hidden in an earthen vessel. He wants it to be exposed, if you will. We have this valuable treasure held up in something that is so fragile. An earthen vessel, he said. Now, most... Most will hear me today. I believe that most sitting here will hear me. Some may not. But for those that do, let me just take you one step further and then we'll stop. With all of what I've said being true, we can't stop there. You have a treasure. I have a treasure. It's in us. It could be like that penny, the holy grail, that's buried away for decades. Or it could be something that not just benefits us. I'm sure that boy, man, had a story to tell when people would say to him, man, I heard you had a a penny. Yes, I was so excited. It was the most incredible thing that happened. You know, the word was going around. They were giving cars away. These things didn't exist. And, man, I got one in the lunchroom, and and, and I, I tried to verify it, and you know how it was. And he tells this story all over and over and over again. And, and, and it's not worth anything. He's just been sitting at the house. But, man, it's an awesome story, and I just, I just, I don't know why, I'm, why I was the one it happened to. And, and how many times did he tell that same thing? And the only person that got any joy... The only person that was ever benefited from all of that was him. That's my story. <laughs> it's, de- it's kind of one of those defining things. Man, I was a kid. I was gullible. I believed I was getting, I didn't get a car. Man, this is, you know, but it's, it's something to talk about. I can just imagine it, 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 and everybody would just look at him and shake their head and think, man, 
It's like the guy that I heard about several years ago who uh, was buying a lottery ticket. True story. He was buying a lottery ticket. It's one of those big mega deals that was hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and he, he bought a, a lottery ticket. This is in the Northeast. And when he got the ticket, uh, it was kind of damaged a little bit on the corners of, of the, the ticket. And he didn't like the way it looked, Dave. And he was, so he started complaining to the person behind the counter. I don't like this ticket. This thing is damaged. I paid good money for this. I want my money back. And the guy behind him said, man, don't worry about that here. Here's the money. How much would you get? I don't know if it's two bucks or something or 10 or whatever it was. He said, here's 10 bucks. Just give me that one. I was going to buy one anyway. And he said, well, you can have this one. I want one that looks much better than this. This thing is no good. It doesn't look good at all. And he sold it to the guy behind him and the guy behind him won the jackpot. It... It happened. That guy has been, uh, no doubt, kicking himself probably from that day forward. Just, if, if we're not careful, let me, let me say this. The truth is repentance is more about, listen, the individual. Repentance helps me. Repentance as an individual helps you. It's about us. Everybody say us. It's not about everyone else. His story about the penny he found was about him for 70 years. It did nothing to change anybody else's life. It did nothing to make a difference for anybody else's life. And when we have our treasure buried in this vessel, it only benefits us. It does nothing for anyone else. And so what has to happen is repentance needs to go to the next level. Amen. And when it goes to the next level, here's when the scripture was saying, and I'll not go back and read it all. You always have death with you. Did it not say that? Always. Always bearing about. Always the death of Christ. Always in your body. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's going to be present. Repentance has to be present. What is repentance? It's about death. It's always in us. It's always about our life. It will define us day in and day out, living a life of repentance. And so it's there. It's all about this death. But the writer didn't stop with death. He said all of that happens so the light that's in you can be revealed. See, we get caught up in death and sorrow and problems and I have all this stuff and we don't let what we have in us ever get out and he's trying to write there and say you cannot just let it be something about you're a saved individual you're a repentant individual you're a church goer you're a Christian you're a saint of God because you're living a consecrated life but death has to go from the one thing it represents to revealing what it's really all about. So death is something we will have with us always, thus communion today. What is this about? Death. What is communion? He said, every time you do this, remember me. Remember we. He said, you do show my death. till my. Every time you do this, you're showing my death. This is not evangelistic. Anybody understand what I'm saying? This is not evangelistic. This is about his death. Okay? And he said, every time you do this, you're showing and bringing remembrance to the sacrifice that was made. So this is what happened then. 
What I want you to do is partake of this so you can go from then to where you are now and make a difference in the world you're living in through the light that will be revealed out of your life as a result of what happened. You have light. You have revelation. You have a valuable treasure that has been placed on the inside of you. But if you just bury it away, it will benefit no one but you. Somehow we have to let this be exposed and everybody say amen. amen. My objective here this morning, and I'll come to a close, is to elevate life, not just death. It would be easy for me to just bring it all down to what this is about today and only this one segment of his entire existence. But I want you to know that as a result of this, life, comes from you. I mean, man, I wish I could read it all. The revelation of life in our testimony somehow has to get out. It's the life of Christ that makes the difference in all of us. Death set it up for the possibility of a difference, but death doesn't make the difference. Death sets us up for the difference to be made. Life makes the difference. He said, I give unto you death. No, he said, I give unto you life and that life more abundantly. This is necessary. This is part, but this is not what makes the difference. This sets us up for the difference to be made in our life. Without this, you can't be set up to have the life. So with this, we set ourselves in a position for the light of his life to be revealed through us every day that we live. Let's stand together. I'm going to turn back to 1 Corinthians and I'm going to read out of the 11th, the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul said, for I have received, verse 23 of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the man, same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Then he says this, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Why? Because they didn't examine themselves. Because they didn't value what they had been given. They didn't consecrate. Examining yourself is a place that you willingly come to repentance and say, God, I don't ever want to approach this unworthily 
doesn't say worthy, and I, I've taught you guys about all of that. Nobody's worthy. Not one person will ever be worthy of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. But it says the manner in which you take it worthily, the attitude of your heart, the spirit that you're taking it in, where your mind is set, where your life is. I don't want to approach this the wrong way. I have to come and say, God, help me to be consecrated again. God, help me to be sold out to your purpose again. God, I dedicate my service and I dedicate worship to you again. Nothing in my life is more important than you. And so God, search me, Lord. See if there's anything in my life. Lord, I, I don't want it to just somehow be buried there. And I, and, I don't, and I don't ever share or reveal how valuable it is. He said, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If if we would actually put ourselves in judgment instead of everybody else in judgment, if we would look at our own lives and say, there's something about me that needs to change. There's an attitude, there's a way, there's a spirit, there's a thought, there's a desire, there's an action in my life that has to change. If I would judge myself instead of judging everybody else, then I wouldn't have to worry about those things. But it's easier to point fingers at everyone else than it is to point fingers at myself. God, I want to be consecrated. Anybody feel like you want to be consecrated? Anybody feel like you want to be drawn a little bit closer to Him today? Here in just a moment, we're going to pray together. But when we are judged, it said, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Amen. He goes on to say, here's the deal. If we'll judge ourselves, if we get where we need to be, if we'll live in a repented way, if we'll live a consecrated way, we'll live in a way where heaven will come down in our lives. Instead of the life of Christ being buried, if you will, His Spirit in us, it will be vibrant in us and alive in us. And everywhere we go, it'll make a difference in other people because they will see a light shining out of this dark vessel. It's just earthen but I have a treasure in it. And I can listen to the lies of people that say it's not valuable or I can say, wait a minute. This thing is worth something. This, this man passed away four months, four months before it was ever realized the value of what he possessed. I'd hate to get to the end of my life and think I had all these years, I had all these days, I had all this time, and I did not make a difference. Trials in my life, yes. Fought on every side, distressed, persecuted. Yes, we're all there. We all, we all face death. But can I tell you, in the midst of all of that, we're not cast out, we're not overcome, we're not run down, not beaten. He's still on our side. Because what we have is valuable. What we have is valuable.